we are going to move into the message for today. The message is from 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. And uh, as I mentioned last week, if you weren't here last week, what I said was that, you know, we've been going through a series in 1 Corinthians, and we're up to chapter 7. We're taking a pause this week because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on baptism itself and, and speak a little bit more about that before we baptize Michelle um, and Regina. And then next week, we will continue with 1 Corinthians. We're on chapter 7, the second half of it, and we're going to look at the important topic of singlehood because the Bible has a lot to say about that. I'm very excited about that, so I hope you'll join us for that next week as well. But here, in 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 14, we're going to look at the topic of baptism. So I'm going to read through this once first. It says this, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? That this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord, his God, and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, 
and he was clean. Uh, Friends, this morning, I'm here to talk about baptism. What we're going to do in in a few moments uh, with Michelle and Regina. But I want to talk about a baptism from uh, not the New Testament, uh, not from, you know, the stories of John the Baptist or or what uh, the Bible, what Jesus has told us to do, but we're going way back here. We're going back, back further than the 90s, further than the 80s. We're going way, way back here to the Old Testament, to a a story about a man named Naaman, which um, I believe foreshadows baptism. It foreshadows the gospel story. You see, John the Baptist came on the scene in the Gospels. In the the book of Matthew, we see him baptizing people at the Jordan River, including Jesus himself. But I don't think John the Baptist was the first person to baptize people at the Jordan River. I think Naaman actually beat him to it in an Old Testament foreshadowing type of way. I believe that Naaman here in what happened at the Jordan River was a foreshadowing of the baptism that was to come through Jesus Christ, and also the faith that is required to receive it. The faith that is required to receive the Christian baptism. So uh, what happens here? We have a very interesting picture of this man, Naaman. Now, Naaman was a very successful person, extremely successful. Uh, In the nation of Syria you don't get much higher than Naaman. It says he was a commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was like a general, and he experienced great victory in battle. So he was a very accomplished military tactician. He was very decorated. He had the respect of the people. It says that he had high favor from his master. His master was the king of Syria. The king of Syria thought the world of Naaman because of how much good he did for the people of Syria, for them, and how he led their army. Naaman was probably quite wealthy as a general. That's kind of how they rolled back then. If you were a general, you were wealthy. He um, had a family. He had uh, servants, as we could see from this little girl, a slave girl that was carried off from the land of Israel. Naaman had everything that a person could want except for one thing. There was one huge problem in Naaman's life, and that problem was called leprosy. Naaman was a leper. Leprosy, that, that disease of, uh, that affects your skin and um, which uh, can lead to your, your skin deteriorating. And in the, in the Old Testament times, in ancient times, Leprosy was like a death sentence for a person. You know, there was no cure for leprosy. There was no real treatment for it. What usually happened to people who were leprous was they got isolated. They got exiled out of society. They had to leave the places where they lived. And in in Israel, when they walked around, they had to go unclean, unclean, as they went around begging for food and, and for people to help them. They were outcasts of society. They were greatly feared by people within society. They were were the bottom rung. So it's very interesting. For Naaman to be a general, yet to be a leper, is a real interesting state of affairs. It's a real contradiction in a sense. I I think what probably happened was he contracted leprosy along the way after he was already in the army. And, And I would imagine having some type of success, 
so that the leprosy made it kind of a difficult thing for the king of Syria, for people to say, get out of here, because he was such a valuable asset to the kingdom of Syria. He was, he was a general, and he gave them great victory. And I don't know what they did. Maybe they kind of kept his house a little bit further away. Say, hey, Naaman, you're such a great general. We built you a mansion. It happens to be on the outskirts of town. <laughs> okay? It's an awesome house. You got so much land. We gave you so much land. But it's really, really a bit of a drive out there. Okay, uh, I don't know how it worked, but that's probably what they did. Naaman, for all of his success, he had everything in the world that people would want, but there was something within him that was still missing. For him, obviously, it was this issue of leprosy. Friends, I think that is, a, that is an incredible picture of humanity at large. It's an incredible picture of all of us, every single person in this world. Uh, and what I mean is that, you know, no matter how successful we become, no matter how much money you make, no matter how beautiful the vacations are that you can take or how beautiful your home is, you can have all the things in this world. But without God, there is still something that is missing in our lives. I don't know if you agree with me or not. If you are not a Christian, I don't know if you agree with me. But maybe, maybe there's something in your heart this morning that goes, yeah, you know what, Ulysses? You're right. I have been pursuing my career. I have been trying to be well-respected. I've been trying to make a name for myself. I've been trying to be seen by people in a certain way, and I've been working so hard at it. And maybe I even have a degree of success when it comes to all of these things, but there's still something within me that is missing that tells me this is not it. I, 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 don't, I don't have it. Whatever it is, there's something still missing. Look at Naaman the desperation that was in his heart for a little slave girl, the words of a little slave girl. There's a prophet in Israel that can heal my master of his leprosy. And for him to go to the king of Syria and say that, that just shows the desperation in his heart for change, for something, because he's been trying to fix his life, but he hasn't been able to do it. He, he shouldn't have responded like this. It's like if you come up to me and you say, Ulysses, my back. I have such terrible back problems. And I said to you, oh, you have terrible back problems. I know a magician far out in the East Bay. Far out in the East Bay. He practices magic. His name is Harry Potter. And if you go to him, he will come out and he will alakazam your back and you will be healed and your back will be fine and you have no more pain. What you should say to me is, you idiot. But Naaman goes, what? There's somebody in Israel who can cure leprosy? Who is he? And he runs to the king of Syria and tells him. What he was searching for his whole life, he couldn't find it in Syria. That's because the answer wasn't in Syria. The answer was in Israel. The answer is not in your job. It's not in your money, it's not in your success, it's not in how many friends you have, it's not in how big your family is. Your, the answer is in the Jesus of Israel. 
the Son of God, through faith in him, we experience forgiveness of our sins, relationship with God again, that which we are searching for, that which every single person in this world needs. The answer is in the Jesus of Israel. So Naaman goes, and, and he goes to the king of Syria. And the king of Syria, I, I, don't, I don't know what the king of Syria is thinking, okay? I don't know what's going on in his mind, but he says, go. Go for it, whether he believes him or not. And he sends a letter with him. He writes a letter to the king of Israel to say, heal Naaman of his, his leprosy. So Naaman goes down with this big retinue. He's got the camels, the gold, the silver, the servants, the, the soldiers. He's got a squadron with him. This big retinue is going down to Israel. So he goes there. He sends this letter to the king of Israel. And, and, and it says, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant that you may cure him of his leprosy. So now the king of Israel flips out. Okay, he doesn't flip out probably in front of Naaman. He probably tells him to wait outside. And he's, he's absolutely livid. He's like, there's no way. What's this guy talking about? He's trying to pick a fight with me. The king of Syria, look what the king of Syria is doing. Who can cure leprosy? Nobody can do that. This guy is trying to pick a fight with me. He's looking for a pretext for invasion. It's a false flag attack. He's just trying to set me up, man. That's what he's doing, cure leprosy. Who can do that? It's absolutely ridiculous. He tears his clothes. Now, again, we don't do that nowadays, but that, like, unless you watch a lot of WWF Hulk Hogan back in the day, right? If you remember Hulk Hogan, that's what the king of, like that, he tears his clothes as a sign of just exasperation, exasperation. This guy's trying to pick a fight with me. Now, Elisha tells the king, calm down, calm down, man. Well, you should never say to somebody who's angry, calm down, right? He says, calm down, calm down, send them to me. And then he will know, then everyone will know there is a prophet in Israel. So now, here's where things get really interesting. So, Naaman comes down, right? He, he, he gets directions from the king of Israel. He's probably really excited, right? Oh my goodness, the king of Israel didn't say, what? Healed of your leprosy? <laughs> Here in Israel, what are you talking about? Nobody can cure leprosy, bro. Go home. Go home, young man. What are you talking about? He actually gives them directions. That's a pretty good sign, right? So Naaman's like, oh my gosh, he gave me directions to the house of Elijah, Elisha. And he puts in the coordinates and they head down there to the house of Elisha. And now what happens? So he, he gets there. I'm getting excited. So he gets there. He gets to Elisha's house, right? And, uh, you know, I imagine, you know, Naaman's like, trumpets now. The guy's like, do, 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 do right? Like the whole shebang out in front of Elijah's house. Presenting the general, the commander, the victor of the army of, of Syria, Naaman himself, right? That, the, whole, the whole pomp and circumstance there for, for Naaman. Now, now what happens? Naaman's there waiting for Elisha to come out and to do his, you know, Harry Potter type thing, right? Whatever it is and cure him of, of his leprosy. But what happens? Elisha doesn't come out. He doesn't come out. What does he do? He sends a messenger out. And the messenger tells Naaman, go and wash in the Jordan seven times. And your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. And now Naaman was very, very upset, very angry. He walked away. Now, a couple of things here that I think are, are a picture 
of the gospel and baptism and the faith that is required to receive the gospel. The, the first one is this. I, why was Naaman angry? Why was he so angry? I think the first thing is this. Naaman is probably there thinking, man, I came all this way and this guy can't even come out to the door to greet me? I mean, does he know who I am? Does he know? Blow the trumpet again, right? Does he know who I am? That's not the mailman. I'm Naaman, commander of the army of Syria. This guy has the nerve to not even come out to me, but he sends a messenger out to me to tell me what to do. The nerve of this guy. Naaman walks off in a huff, pissed off at this. Now, so what, did, what does Naaman need to do? If he was going to experience healing, what did he have to do? Well, here's the first thing he had to do. If Naaman was going to experience healing, the first thing he had to do was he had to obey the voice of somebody that he could not see. He had to obey the voice of someone that he could not see. He couldn't see Elisha, but Elisha spoke. Elisha told him what he needed to do in order to be healed. Now, in order to be healed, Naaman would have to take Elisha at his word. He'd have to listen to the voice of somebody that he could not see. Isn't that the gospel, friends? The message of Jesus. I am sure, maybe there are some of you here in this room, or maybe some of you have said this in the past, before you became a Christian, man, you want me to believe in Jesus? God, if you, all you got to do is, if you just show yourself to me, I will believe. Like, you know, how about we do that thing where you come down on a cloud, right? If you just come down on a cloud, out of heaven, make it glow, do that whole thing. You can have a chariot on the cloud. You can be standing in the chariot. Like, if you do that thing, all you got to do is that, God. If you do that, then I will believe. All you got to do is show yourself to me. Friends, unfortunately, that's not how God works. God doesn't do that. He did that 2,000 years ago when Jesus came into this world in the flesh and he revealed himself to this world, which is as much historical fact as anything else in ancient history based upon the signs of textual criticism and eyewitnesses. God revealed himself. He did show himself to this earth in the form of Jesus 2,000 years ago. But friends, now, today, what God does is God speaks. He has spoken to us through the word that we have in the Bible. And that word says things like John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that word comes to you not from Elisha, not from God on a cloud in a chariot, but it comes to you through his messengers, through Christians like me and other Christians in this room or maybe a friend that you know. That's how the word of God comes and the message says, believe in the Son of God. Jesus died on the cross for your sins so that you could be forgiven and not experience separation from God so that you could become a child of God so that you could be loved by God and have everlasting life. The message comes from his messengers. The question is, will you choose to believe 
the voice of somebody that you cannot see? Will you choose to believe that the Bible is the word of God? Because that's how God speaks to us now. Look, it's possible that you could be visited by an angel. God works miracles nowadays. But friends, I would not wait for that because God has already spoken to you. Wash and be cleansed. Wash and be cleansed through trusting in the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross for you. If your heart is saying, if God shows himself to me, I'll believe, all I can say to you is God has already spoken to you. He's speaking to you even right now through his word. Wash and be cleansed. Trust in my son Jesus and be cleansed. Here's, here's the second thing from Naaman. Second thing that really made him mad. He said, are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So Naaman's basically, what he's saying is, you, you, so I'm supposed to wash in the Jordan River here, and that's going to cleanse me of my leprosy. Okay. <laughs> this, this backwater stream here, I wouldn't be caught dead washing myself. You think that's going to clean me? You know what? You know what we got back home? Abana and Farpar. That's right. We got the Club Med. Club Med of the Middle East here. People, people kayaking, paddle boarding, doing all. It's beautiful, man. Beautiful. That water's so much nicer than this water. I'm supposed to wash myself in this seven times and be clean. Get out of here. Are you kidding me? I could have done that at home in much cleaner, nicer water. Why would I do that? Friends, that's the gospel message as well. How so? In this way. The gospel, just like the waters of the Jordan, the gospel doesn't look like much in the eyes of the world. It doesn't. That's always the way it's been. That's the way it is now. It takes faith to believe that the gospel is the source of salvation. Even now, today, people go, change my life? Answer to my deepest needs is in the, what, church? Are you serious? In the church, that building, where there's one every few blocks, in that building with the little steeple and the cross on it, that's the answer to my deepest needs in life in the church? Come on, get out of here. Jesus? Christians? I heard all that. Come on, man. I need, I need to... I need to climb the highest mountain to find some type of spiritual enlightenment. I need to find some esoteric spiritual mysticism, something difficult. I need to meditate until I, I have visions. I need, to, I need to find and plumb the depths of the deepest philosophies and, and figure out, find a guru. And, and then I, I know I could find life change in that in some way. But Jesus, the church, Christians, come on, man. We're talking about Jesus here. Jesus? Come on, come on. <laughs> Are you kidding me? The gospel doesn't look like much in the world, does it? In fact, Jesus is even despised. He's used to it. You, you, can't, you can't make fun of anybody's religion in the world now. You can't make fun of anybody's God except one, Jesus. Christianity. He can be the butt of everybody's joke. 
You can use his name as a curse word. You can make skits and movies where people dress up as Jesus and do weird, sacrilegious things that are totally insulting, and the world laughs. You can make fun of anybody. You can despise Christians. Oh, Christianity, what? This is, get out of here, man. Jesus, are you kidding me? The waters of the Jordan? Come on, man. It's not surprising. Isaiah, the prophet, in chapter 53, he said this. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Friends, there's nothing new under the sun. Thousands of years ago, they said, Jesus, he ain't nothing to look at. Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? If he's the son of God, let him come down from the cross and save himself. Come on. They despised him and they rejected him to the point of hanging him upon a cross. Today, there's nothing new when people say, Jesus, the church, you got to be kidding me. The waters of the Jordan, no way. Yes way. It is the cross is the source of forgiveness and salvation for all the world, for everybody who would put their faith in Jesus Christ. And it may not look like much to you, but it is the source of salvation for everybody who believes. Jew and Gentile, white and black, Asian, Latino, Native American, it doesn't matter. For everyone who puts their faith in Jesus, he is the source of salvation for everybody. But it takes faith to believe that that man, Jesus, who was baptized in the Jordan River, is the one who can bring salvation. What will you choose to believe? So Naaman walks away in a huff, very upset, right? In a rage. Now, one of his servants, um, a wise servant, comes to him and he says, my father, it is a great word. The prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? What, what is this, this servant saying? He's, you know, to paraphrase here, it's like he's, he's coming to Naaman. He's like, yeah, I, I know, I know, sir. I know that water looks dank and janky, that water. I wouldn't want to go down in there. Man, and that, that prophet, he didn't even come out. He disrespected you. Come on, man. If they're back in Syria, it'd be lights out for him. I know, I get it. I get it. I'm upset too. I'm mad. I'm mad, sir. I'm mad. But, but sir, did, did he actually just say to you that if you go and you wash yourself in that river, you will be clean? Did he just say that? Because nobody in Syria has ever said that. Everybody, you know what they say in Syria, sir? Behind your back, they say, well, poor guy. Nothing that we can do about him. Nice mansion, way out in the sticks. Sorry, 
You just have to live with it for the rest of your life. Nobody can do anything about leprosy. Nobody would dare pretend to say they could do anything to a powerful man like Naaman about leprosy. Nothing. No one. Zilp, zitch, nada. No help. Did, did this prophet in Israel actually just say, wash and be cleansed? Is that what he said? Friends, did, did God really say in his word, did he actually say that if you believe in Jesus, all your sin, past, present, future, will be washed away, will be forgiven, you will be cleansed, and you will be white as snow before God and invited into the presence of God and he will adopt you as his own child and he will become your father? Did, did the Bible actually say that? Do we grasp the gravity of what it is actually offering to us? That no matter what you have done, no matter who you have hurt, no matter what secrets you have in your heart, no matter what brokenness there is in your life, that you can be forgiven. No matter how unlovable you may think you are, no matter how much you may feel like you need to work for people to love you, that God will love you as his child through believing in Jesus, just through faith in the Son of God? Yes. Yes. God has actually said that. He has said that. Do we understand the gravity of what is being offered to us here. It's, so many churches are off nowadays when they say, oh, Jesus was a role model. That's who he was. He was a good example to us. And oh, he said, love people, so we should go love people. No, that's not the heart of it. The heart of it is that Jesus died upon the cross so that we could be forgiven, so that we can have a relationship with God. And then through the Holy Spirit who will come into our hearts, then we can walk in relationship with God and love God and love people. And it is not anything that we can earn ourselves. Has God actually said that? He has. Isaiah goes on in that same chapter. And he said, this person who is nothing much to look at, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Friends, the debt that we owed because of our sin, not only because of the, 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 the really obvious things, you know, when you hurt somebody, when you stole something, when you said an unkind word, but even the sin of saying, I'm going to live my own life. I'm not going to submit to God as my Lord. I'm about me, and I'm the king of my own life. I'm the captain of my own soul. Even that idolatry, that worship of the self rather than God, even that sin, the debt of our sin was insurmountable. 
But Jesus, the Son of God, died upon the cross so that if you would come to the cross and believe in him, that he is the Son of God, that there is no way to be cleansed or cured except through him, and that you bow the knee at the cross and say that, Jesus, you are my Lord. Help me to learn how to live for you. Yes, God has actually said, you will be forgiven. You will be my child. You will be loved. And you will have a purpose in this life that the world cannot give you. God has actually said that. So, Naaman goes, all right, that's a pretty good argument. I'll listen to you. And so what does he do? He goes down to the Jordan River. He gives it a try. It says he dips himself seven times in the Jordan River. Now, what does this require? Well, this certainly requires humility on the part of Naaman, right? It requires humility to actually take Elisha at his word and to go down into this dank river and dip himself sometimes. It takes humility. Now, I, I believe, and now this is a little bit of, um, you know, my guess along the lines of humility of what Naaman had to do but I believe that before Naaman walked down in that river, he had to do something. I believe he came into Israel dressed in battle garb. He's a general, right? Generals go around with their, you know, all that kind of stuff. He's leading his army men, everything. He's coming as an official delegation. He's traveling through hostile territory. They fought with Israel. He's got his armor on. He's got his robe. He's got his gear, his headdress. He's got everything that decorates him and says, mighty man of valor, general of the army, important person. Now, if he's going to go down into a river and dip himself seven times, what I believe he had to do was he had to take his armor off. He had to remove his helmet his breastplate, his, his things on covering his legs and his arms, put down his shield. He had to take off his military dress and his robe and whatever else he had on. And you know what comes out at the end before he goes into the Jordan River? A leper. What do you see? You see a man covered with leprous sores all over his body. In order to be washed in the Jordan River, in order to cleanse himself, for Naaman to do that, he had to humble himself and listen to Elijah. But I also believe he had to remove his armor and all the things that he covered himself up with. And he became just a man. And not only that, a leprous man. It took a level of humiliation, of humility, before his soldiers, his servants. And they were reminded of who he was underneath that armor in order to be cleansed. Friends, in order to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ and to be forgiven of our sins, it requires humility, a great 
deal of humility. It requires a heart that will come before God and say, you know, Lord, it's, it's not my accomplishments. That's not who I am. That's not going to save me. It's not my money. That's not going to save me. It's not what people think of me. That's not going to save me. It's not all of these things I've been pursuing and I've been covering myself with so that people in society in this world will say to me, you're somebody. You're lovable. You're good. You're great. You're smart. You're accomplished. You are somebody. It's not any of those things. But who I am is I am a sinner who cannot cure myself. And I come and I bow before the cross of Jesus, recognizing that there is no way for me to be cleansed, no way for my sins to be forgiven, except through what Jesus has done upon the cross, no matter how, quote unquote, good I am, no matter how successful I am, only the blood of Jesus can wash away the stain of sin in my life. And that's the type of humility that Naaman needed. But through that humility, he was cleansed. He was washed. Friends, if you are not a Christian, or if maybe you thought you were a Christian, but you've, you, you, you didn't realize it required faith in Jesus for who he is and, and all the things I've been talking about, it's a simple choice this morning. You can continue trying to hide behind your armor and putting more and more pieces on, the pieces of success, accomplishment, respect, intelligence, nice dress, appearance, beauty, whatever. You could try to cover yourself all of that in order to be, quote unquote, lovable or respected in this world. But I'll tell you, without God, you will continue to go on in your life and there is something that is missing whether you feel it or you don't, something deep within your heart that is missing. And I want to tell you that's Jesus. It is Jesus who is missing. And you can, you can like Naaman almost did, you can walk away if you want to, but I will tell you, there is no healing in Damascus. There is no healing in those other things that you're pursuing. Healing and forgiveness and meaning in life comes through bowing the knee to the Jesus of Israel. Christians, brothers and sisters, isn't this a reminder to us of who we are in Christ and how we constantly are trying to cover ourselves up again with other things in order to be loved and respected? This is a reminder to us once again that none of those things None of those things amount to anything, but I am a sinner saved by grace, and therefore I am loved, and that is my deepest identity in Christ. It comes through the gospel and not through any of these other things. And friends, that is what baptism symbolizes.